glass of cider, and they should all be in good voice, shouldn't they? Absolutely. Yeah, they okay. be in good voice. And everybody knows Delilah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't seem convinced at all. <laughs> okay. Well, what we're, we're going to have to do is uh, it, Terry, uh, true to form, has written a, a, a nice little number which, uh, which takes the words of uh, that uh, particular classic. Yes. Or adulterates the word, uh, mutilates the words in that particular no, no, classic. No, 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 these are a new classic. Right, okay. This is Tom Jones's latest number. <coughs> Do you think? From his allotment album. <laughs> so what I want you guys to do is sing the chorus, okay? With me. Because if I've got to sing, then uh, unfortunately you have to sing, right? <laughs> the, the chorus of Delilah. How does it go? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. A lady's on a tuna. <laughs> Can you go up one, one note higher? La. That's better. Try it up. My, my, my Delilah. Come on. Don't try and follow something. <laughs> uh, Terry's tone deaf, by the way, so I, I don't think uh, you, should, you should follow his, uh, his example. Should we, get, should we try again? My, my, my Delilah. Why, 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 Delilah? Embarrassed, though. That's <laughs> <laughs> OK. Well, that's good. That's a great start. Because the, the rest of the words are... You have to, you have to uh, repeat after me. It doesn't rhyme or anything, it's I'm afraid. Brilliant, by the way. So, before I continue to hoe, forgive me my dahlia <laughs> as you flower some more. Okay. So, Adrian, I appreciate you might not want to be part of this, but <laughs> everyone in the room has to do it. <laughs> okay. So, substitute Delilah with Dahlia. All right. And the last two lines are So, before I continue to hoe. So, before I continue to hoe. Forgive me, me my, my Dahlia, Dahlia my... as you. Flower some more. All right, I can see this. I can see this is going to be so much more difficult than I imagined it might be. <laughs> so you all, you all tune in for that chorus, now, are you? I'll, uh, I'll sing it first then. Right, go on. Right, so uh, you, you have to be quiet now. I know. I'll be quiet. I know now. it's difficult, but right, just. Uh, I'll just. just I'll, I'll step my side. Try. I don't want to. Okay. My, my, my Dahlia. Why, 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 Dahlia? So before I continue to hoe, forgive my Dahlia. <laughs> I can see you're not from the land of song. <laughs> no, no, no much singing. Uh, where I come from. Forgive my Dahlia. As you flower some more, okay. <laughs> let's try. Let's just uh, let's, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Join in the chorus now, folks. Okay, so uh, let's uh, let's have a big round of applause for Terry as he as he begins <laughs> on this endeavour. Well, not again, open the chorus. I saw the weeds as I looked out the window. Bum, bum, bum. I had the hoe in my hand and they fell to the ground. Bum, 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 bum. They were a nuisance, and as they grew, they drove me out of my mind. 
Why, 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 why did ya? Why, why, why did ya? So before I continue to hope, forgive my Delia as you flowers some more. At break of day, when those weeds were gone away, I was happy. I crossed the path and my vegetables were growing some more. They no longer were laughing. I switched my horn, they were no more. Ding, 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 ding. My, 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 Delia. Why, 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 Delia? So before I continue to hold, forgive me, my Delia, as you flower some more. Forgive me, my Delia, before you flower some more. Excellent. Well, I think, you did, I think you all deserve a round of applause for joining us. <laughs> That's very good. So is everybody feeling really wide awake now? No, not exactly. <laughs> so as, uh, as we said, the second half is very much about you giving us your questions. So you can ask us absolutely anything you like. It doesn't matter what it is. Like Terry said, chances are we won't know the answer, but it's best that you ask. Especially about gardening. I mean, you know, I've, to be perfectly honest, I've never, answered, I've never asked Terry a question that he doesn't know the answer to. I've never checked that it's right. But... <laughs> <laughs> One thing about gardening is never right. There was a, a question, a, a question uh, earlier. first question was from Adrian, and he asked me about... Adrian, the gentleman there, looking very smart, who was reluctant to sing. He wanted to know how big an avocado pip could grow to. He said he's grown... He's about four foot or something at the moment. Only if we've done very well to get that far because they are not very easy to grow in this climate. They, are, they like the tropical weather. You need a really warm conservatory and you need to keep them growing all the time. Can they and live for a long time? They live for a long time, but I mean, the difficulty of them is actually getting to get a fruit of them. Has anybody else tried growing up an avocado pip? Yeah. How have you got on, Simon? No, it's very, very difficult. It needs the, the perfect conditions of a subtropical to really do well. They look quite decorative in the corner, but don't expect to live of it. Because they grow in quite big trees, aren't they, at the end of the yeah, day? Yeah. But they, they do, I mean, I remember used to grow them all the time. And I was saying this to Eddie earlier on, you know, she used to grow them and grow them to about sort of three foot or something like that. And then they die. They just mm. die. So. Yeah. Okay. Another question, uh, gentleman at the back there. Terry, on your Welsh slope, how do you control potato blight? How do you control, how do you control potato blight? <laughs> <laughs> Which I knew the answer, I can make a fortune. I mean, you can, the only way you control potato blight, if you're not organic is the old copper sulphate or benlate or something like that. You need to spray before the first signs of it as well. So most of the blight in this country, and it's been rather unusual in the last couple of years, it's been earlier, but most blight comes on potatoes during August, when the nights get a bit cooler, but they're a lot damper. And you need to spray every two weeks before you see any sign of it at all. Once it's there, there's nothing at all you can do. Once those little black spots start appearing, whatever you try to do, it'll start working through the foliage and eventually into the tubers. So there's no organic method of controlling it. I find in more and more these days, you're better off growing early, second earlies, 
getting a decent crop out. The news that grown with something else. It's getting more and more difficult to grow main crop potatoes as the summers get wetter and wetter. So you go, I mean, you grow potatoes. You've got forty thousand acres of potatoes. <laughs> 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 and you're, you're asking Terry about potato blood. <laughs> Slightly disconcerting. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a hell of a lot of blight. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the conditions, conditions are, when the conditions are right for blight, spreads like wildfire. You can't. You can't, if you can't, not, not main, you can grow organic earlies and get away with second earlies. But come main crop, which is sort of September, October cropping, once the August months comes in, the humidity's up, if anything else, the blight starts, and that's it. There's no organic well, method. The problem is the chemicals you're talking about are much worse for you than the, the, the chemicals we can use. Well, that's always been the problem. It's a dreadful thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's the. That Yep. So all these people are using organic, eating organic potatoes, thinking they're good for you, and in fact they're carcinogenic. Well, I mean, the other big problem is we more, but we more, <laughs> I went through this. I mean, I started my gardening career in the 50s when everything was grown organically. We, we just had manure and bracken and all the messy things to grow on. And there was very few artificial fertilizers. There was national grow more around and a couple of other bits then, but you tend to grow organically. And again, in the early 60s, along came these famous chemicals, you know, lindane and DTD. Kill every pest that was on every plant you had, except on every, fo- every ally as well as every four died. And we were splattering this stuff everywhere, and everything grew absolutely wonderful. And then what happened about five or six years later, we were building this massive, great chemical cocktail up in the soil, which was staying there forever and wiping us out. So, you know, there's never any happy medium on these things, is there, really? I mean, if you can grow organically, and I tend to grow most, you, you've got to expect some losses, and you've got to adjust the seasons accordingly. What caterpillars do you have this type? Um, Pardon? How do caterpillars get on this type? Caterpillars, I don't have those things. Don't allow them. Too much rainfall up here, right? Pardon? 50 inches, they will grow in 50 inches of rainfall. No, my secret, the secret to caterpillars on a small area, this is. I mean, you, you, you don't grow 500 acres of cabbage, now, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I forget I'm in farming land here. Yeah. <laughs> my, my cure to caterpillars is rhubarb leaves. When I harvest my rhubarb, I chop the leaves off, the rhubarb goes on for the crumble, the leaves go into a small black dustbin with a lid. Fill it with water, put the leaves in, keep stirring them, keep adding them as you harvest in, and within five weeks you have this evil smelling stuff. Fantastic for some of these guys here, you rub it in your hair within like, see this lot? I was. I, was, I had the same hairstyle as you three years ago until I started finding rhubarb juice. <laughs> <laughs> but then you take this, and after about six, five or six weeks, it's lethal. It absolutely knocks your head off. And then you, I put it out of my watering can, and I soak everything which is brassica-based with this. And it coats the leaves, and the poor little butterfly comes along, and you think, God, this cabbage is dying. And he goes and finds someone who's a bit more alive. So he doesn't lay the eggs. So the caterpillars actually keep away from the brassicas. But the only danger is, like everything else, the more rain you get, the more they'll wash it off, and the, keep, the more you keep having to do it. So every time you use up the whatever's in your drum, keep refilling it, keep re-adding, and keep watering right through the season. But right through the summer season, when the cabbage white butterfly is very active, that, is, that will keep them away. It is an evil smelling stuff. Keeps your neighbours off your plot as well. <laughs> I, nobody ever nicks my cabbages. Does everyone ever have any, uh, any of their brassicas and they're <clears throat> inundated with holes? One minute. And they go to look to see what's making all these holes and there appears to be nothing at all there. Has anybody had that experience? 
I'm glad you've said yes, because if you hadn't, I'd have nowhere to go with this at all. <laughs> a couple of times people have said to me this year, um, what's eating my uh, purple sprouting or Brussels sprouts or whatnot? And of course it's cabbage white caterpillars. Um, you know, they go and they, they feast on it. But interestingly, we've had loads and loads of wasps this year. And another classic uh, question that people tend to ask is that, why are wasps useful? I and mean, what is the purpose of wasps? But what they're doing, of course, is they're going out and they're predating on all those cabbage white caterpillars. Nothing tends to, tends to like to eat cabbage white caterpillars apart from wasps. You know, birds don't eat them. They don't really like them. They, they taste disgusting. They taste like raw cabbage, mm. don't they? So yeah. they're, they're not, <laughs> not good. Yeah, not really pleasant, are they? And, uh, and I've had exactly the same thing this year, you know, that because we've had lots and lots of wasps, one minute there are loads and loads of caterpillars on there, and the next minute they're all gone. It's because the wasps turn up, they find a wonderful place to feast around, you know, and they bring all their mates there, they eat all the caterpillars, they use that stock up and they disappear again. But in that time, of course, a new stock establishes itself. Yeah. So, it just like... yeah. Well, uh, did, they, did they actually find all those ones on your Brussels sprouts? Uh, what are you trying to... Where, where are we going with this? <laughs> when I examined you at Brussels sprouts this evening, there wasn't many leaves left on them. No, that's right. No, no well, that, that, that's the problem with Rylan relying on natural pest control a little bit too much. He'd been on holiday. He'd been on holiday. He'd been on holiday. All right. While Richard's away, the caterpillar plays, eh? <laughs> the, um, the, funniest, the funny thing, you know, um, well, I've, well, I've talked before and people have said... Um, if you go and I've, I've talked about squishing caterpillars, you know, go and you squish caterpillars, and the only the only thing you've got to be careful about is if you get too close and you squish it, and a bit of juice goes in your eye, and you temporarily <laughs> temporarily blind yourself. But actually, it's quite rewarding in many respects. But of course, people have said, <laughs> "Don't take me, don't take me literally when I say that." <laughs> people say, uh, uh, "You know, it's wildlife." So surely, if you're trying to attract wildlife in your garden, why are you uh, squishing? cabbage white caterpillars and of course that's an absolute point I can't answer that I mean but you and I have had the same conversation before mm-hmm. it would be a shame if you couldn't see those little fluffy white pearls flying around you know in the, around the garden ever but equally you don't want to see great big flocks of them descending on your on your what is uh, the answer to that is it won't feed on somebody else's nasturtiums I mean, I'm quite happy if someone's eating something. Yeah. Keep off my cabbage, we'll go and feed on some of these nasturtiums. Yeah. That's another answer. I mean, people grow <coughs> sort of semi-companion planting, and they plant nasturtiums near cabbage, and the, the cabbage white will quite happily lay their eggs on that. Caterpillars will quite happily chew away on nasturtium, which then keeps your crops happy. Mm. You can afford to sacrifice your nasturtiums. Fantastic. Any other questions, other than? Lady in the blue dress. Yeah, they just get drunk and cause more trouble. <laughs> they do work. But I, 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 I'm, a, I'm, I'm, quite a, I'm quite a thrifty gardener. I'm quite happy to sit there and drink the beer and then go out with my knife and stab them. <laughs> I don't see why they should die happy. <laughs> I have no idea. There's, there's Mr. A there, my apprentice, is trying to teach the master how to use these nematodes. They didn't work for me this year. Uh, okay, is this the first year you've tried them? Yes. Right. Explain that. Explain Oh, how do nematodes work? Nematode, right. Okay. Nematode. We have to repeat the questions because we're going out as a podcast. Yeah, I should, we should, should we're say. We're supposed yeah. to repeat the questions. Yeah, right? there you go. So if you've repeated it, 
Have you repeated it sufficiently? Holding nematodes were. Okay, my, uh, my, my stepfather calls them nematodes, which seems quite appropriate, really, because they spend their entire life underground. But what you'll find is that the first year of application, you probably won't notice a, 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 a difference. Right? Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question first, and then I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it in reverse, okay? So please, I don't want too much to, uh, audience in, in, to participation. <laughs> you still I don't think I'm 12 years old, that's the problem. Yeah, so, so what happens is you, what you, the, the instructions are that you should apply nematodes every six weeks, right? So, so you assume from that that the, the life uh, cycle of a, uh, or the, the lifespan of a nematode is about six weeks. The reality is they can probably live for about three months or so. Probably like, I mean, you, you imagine they're, I don't know why I go like that, but they're microscopic, they're very tiny. So you buy a little pack of powder, which is essentially clay, and all these little nematodes are immersed in this, something like 20 million of them. And you water into your water and cut water into the ground and off they go, you know, they they inundate the ground and actually this year is a particularly good year for application because the soil has been moist right through the year and what those guys need is lots of moisture in the soil in order to negotiate their way through the soil particles what they will do is they will predate on the juvenile slugs. So the problems that you're facing this year with slugs tend to be adults, you know, those things that are on the surface. The juveniles tend to be a real problem with potatoes and the like. But you'll still get problems with adult slugs after you apply nematodes, certainly um, if the nematodes don't land on the slug. Because what they'll do is they'll crawl into either the breathing apparatus of the slug or the pores of the skin, and they they release a, a bacteria which kills the slug, and then the nematode feeds off, the, off the, um, the bacteria that comes about from the decomposing slug. So it's quite a, just a nice little neat trick of nature, really. And there are nematodes that are species-specific, so they'll prey on um, particular animals. So in this case, it's slugs. And the unfortunate thing is that we've got something like 40 different species of slugs, and there are really only four species of slugs that affect us in a garden. And by applying nematodes, you're going to be killing off all those slugs, some of which might be doing quite a bit of, quite a bit of good. But nematodes are, by far and wide, the most efficient, effective way of controlling slugs in the garden. And my stepfather, who calls the uh, nematodes uh, nematodes, is very cynical of all things. And uh, he's had the most brilliant success. And I was, you know, he he's waxes lyrical about the, the success he's had. He has no slug problems at all. He's got raised beds. So he's able to apply it specifically, but yeah, they're, they're, they're brilliant. So, does that, does that kind of answer your, your question as well? Excellent. I could. I, the question was, where do I buy them from? <laughs> I could have got the uh, I, I'd have got the first part of that question right. The second part I wouldn't have been quite so sure of. But uh, <coughs> they are more expensive than buying slug pellets. But as gardeners, you know, we can afford to spend a little bit extra on a means of slug control. So as farmers, who have got millions of acres uh, to to you know to control slugs over. Then nematodes would be it was completely you know non-viable. You couldn't you couldn't possibly do it. Not yet. Maybe later on. You know, they'll, they'll um, work something out. But. They do reproduce, yeah, because they're already in the ground. So what you're doing is bolstering the numbers. So you're bolstering the numbers um, artificially, in effect. So when you do that, of course, then you will have a, a decline in population densities after the first instance, which is why you need to reapply them. But they live in the ground naturally anyway. 
Some soil obviously have more um, nematodes in than, than others. I mean, if you've got really clay soil, which is very difficult, you know, where all the, the molecules are, um, are quite compacted and it's difficult for things to move between them, um, then the nematodes probably won't do so well. But in that instance, the slugs don't do so well either. So, so when, for next year, when do I apply in March, January or March? Yeah, you want to wait till the soil's um, above... 10 degrees, really, I reckon. So 10 degrees is about right, because then you get a nice bit of movement then. You can, you can apply it when it's a, a little bit cooler, but um, right, go with that, which is fine, because you really shouldn't be putting anything in the ground if the soil's less than 10 degrees anyway, not really, you know, seeds and stuff like that. They need, they need a nice bit of warm soil, you know. So do it, yeah, March time. You know, March is when as soon as there's a bit of warmth in the sun, you know, it starts to warm the soil. And do it early on in the year as well, because that's when the soil tends to be um, at its most moist. So, yeah, do it then. But you will notice, that, um, I, I give you my word, you'll notice a huge decline in, in numbers next year. I'm waiting for that as well. <laughs> yeah. He's giving me his word that I will have less slugs next year. <laughs> I've counted them and there's over three million at the moment. <laughs> um, Question so, yeah. What's the best for getting rid of bindweed from your veg patch? What's the best to get rid of bindweed from your veg patch? <clears throat> best is a, is a fork and gentle patience. Yeah, that is one thing about buying weed. The one good thing about buying weed is when you look in for it, you can actually see it because it's a pure white root. It's very easy to find, but you leave one millimeter of it in the ground, and that one millimeter becomes several yards. But it is a slow, laborious process, and year on year, you keep fighting it. The other thing you do is when you see it coming up, and you can soon see the little curly bit come up, get your little trowel and keep finding that. And at the end, it's a long battle, but you will win. Has anybody? I mean, I think it's. I bind weed. I've got bind weed in the garden, and I uh, it just keeps coming back all the time. So yeah, because you don't get the root out. You've right. really got to so keep fighting. Do, how, how deep does the root? Oh, go? it goes down. It can go anything down to a yard. Down to a yard. Yeah, it'll go down that thing. I've, I've dug a big hole and I found it. Right. Oh, no, we 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 are, we come in. We come in, sir. Don't worry. Do you ever have to buy a packet of seeds? Do I ever have to buy a packet of seeds? Yes, I spend quite a lot of money on seeds in the course of a season. <coughs> no. No, I never. I, I am not a. I am not. A, I am not a great believer in collecting my own seed. I must admit. When one, one of the things. <laughs> What's that? That was that was almost inadvertent. Then, wasn't it? You stumbled across that one, didn't you? <laughs> you remember that for future reference. <laughs> <laughs> I rest my case. Not <laughs> <laughs> anymore. Must be yeah. plenty of questions. Where we are? I've got one actually. First, I'd like to say, you know, you've got a lovely voice, and uh, Tom should be very worried. <laughs> but, uh, I got to grow the beard, no? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like cooking butternut squash. So over the last couple of years, I've tried to put them in the veg patch and grow them. And it's not been very successful. Is that because of the season, yes. rather than because all I get is a lot of leaf? And they've only just started. They start to. I've got, I've got nothing this year. No. And I'm thinking, shall I give up or do I no. persevere? The last good time we had was 2006. That was a fantastic really? summer for butternut squash, and we had no end of them. But again, the plant struggles. It's very pale yellow. It stands to start to grow and goes berserk, mm, but the fruit does not good. set. And the last yeah. last two summers, I failed to have one yeah. butternut. Go for the spaghetti squash. They're growing much better. Really? I grew that. They grew this year for all that lousy summer and fruited, and we've cut God knows how many. Yeah, so 
Yeah, butternut is a very tricky little beast yeah. and likes the warm weather, likes the sun on his back, but he doesn't, doesn't fruit. The uh, red onion squash are brilliant as well. These, these guys, they, yeah. they grow like stink. You can usually get two or three off each plant. A nice size red onion squash as well. And uh, I mean, the beauty of those things is you can, uh, I've got to be careful where I go with this now, I mean, you can keep the seed and then use the seed again the following year. And do they taste the same as butternut squash? They taste better than butternut squash. Mm. I, I, to be very honest, I just would not bother growing butternut squash because it's more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. But nothing tastes better than a butternut squash. <laughs> and despite what he says, <laughs> there is something about a, a decent butternut squash. And, yeah. and I, I will never give up. I'll keep trying year on year. Yeah, I will succeed yeah, again. I think, I think it's planned for Olympic year. We can have another good year for butternut squashes in Olympic year. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, there was something else with it under the back. Yeah? Yes, sir. Very, very easily. When I want to, don't forget, this was back now in the 60s. And in the 60s, the pits were still running crazily mad in the valleys. So what women used to do when the husbands came home, they'd call in the pub for a couple of pints, wash the dust down and come home. They'd stack them up with carbohydrate. So they would eat lots and lots of potato. And the other basic staple was cabbage, runner beans and maybe some carrots. So you didn't have all these wild exotic vegetables we grow these days and all these little funny things running over the ground and sweet corns or whatever. So I'd put three or four plots down to potatoes. Now the beauty of potatoes is once you plant potatoes, I mean, there's got an expert in the back with all these 100,000 acres. Once you put the potatoes in, the hardest bit is putting them in. When they come up, once you've earthed them, they look after themselves and they grow so big and vigorous, they just smother everything. And the easiest bit then, when you turn them out, you're turning the ground at the same time. So next year's cabbage ground is ready for me. So yeah, 10, it was all a matter of just growing the limited amount. The other thing I'll let you in tip, I mean, one of the things I did in the 60s, when I, I sort of diversified around about 65, I had these 10 plots in the go, and my father said, we missed an opportunity here. He said, there's a demand for flowers. So I said, well, all right, we'll go for a demand for flowers. So I filled one plot with rose trees, and I filled another one, half sweet peas, half dahlias. And I had a very nice little deal with a florist, which was about a mile away in Tonopandi. And florists, believe it or not, use what gardeners consider to be rubbish. They want the short, stumpy roses you can't use for bouquets. Uh, for bunches, because they want them to go into bouquets and they poke them into everything. You take the situation where you buy a bouquet, they're only short little bits stuck into wire or whatever. And I started growing these and he, I, I said, well, Dad, nobody's buying them. Look, son, he said, when you take the veg out now, in the ronda, everybody's front room is the best room. Nobody ever uses that, but the, the ladies of the house would like flowers in it, but they can't afford them. So when you take the veg, I take the box and I get a lovely bouquet of flowers and I put it on the top. I knock the door now and they come to the door and they say, uh, oh, we didn't order flowers. No, my love, I said, you are one of my best customers. As Bruce would say, you're my favourite. <laughs> these, these are just for you for being a good customer. And they would say, oh, really? And, uh, how much is the box this week? I give them a price and they go out and give me a shilling tip. <laughs> just to do dinner. And that was, a, that was another way I filled up two plots and... The other thing I did, I mean, I, I, that's how mean I am as a gardener. You know how mean I am. <laughs> on, my, on my wedding day, I was at the allotments at 5 o'clock in the morning. I collected all the yellow roses. I zipped off the Tonopani of the Flores to make Anthea's bouquet. And I zipped back and collected all the sweet peas. And all the bridesmaids' sweet peas were made and given to the bridesmaids as well. So it didn't cost me a penny for flowers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did manage 10. It was 
by what I was growing. Again, runner beans, once you put them in and they zoom up. I mean, you, I was picking anything up in those days, 200, 200 weight a week of runner beans. Yeah, and all those went. But again, once they're up and they're running, it's just watering and just keeping a few weeds under control. Yeah, specialised growing. Fantastic. And it's the same as growing 100 acres of potatoes. A lady at the back um, with a grey cardigan had a question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Strictly, it has to be above a height which can actually damage anybody, doesn't it? Was that on the Jeremy Vine show today? Was it? Oh, because funny enough, they rung, they rung me up this morning and they said, um, Can you come on this afternoon? There's, there's two topics which are in the news at the moment about allotments. One of them in Bristol, the council who owns allotments, have told the shed holders no longer to lock their sheds because if they break in, the, it, was, it was cheaper to let their tools go than it was to keep replacing the shed doors. And the other question in the paper today was about barbed wire. Is it used on your allotments? And I answered all these questions and they dropped me from the show then. <laughs> That's because I was coming up here. Unless I'm on the allotment, they won't actually, actually let me comment. So I was, uh, that, that was funny enough. They asked me that question. I wonder why you asked it then. We, you'd always get problems. I mean, it's that they're on about the they're making big capital at the moment about the credit crunch and how people are stealing vegetables. People have always stole vegetables you know, on a limited scale, and I have I, even though I get annoyed, I have no real grief about someone who wants something to come in and take a few beans and a cabbage as long as they leave me some. It's what I hate on allotments is when the vandals break in, they rip up all the crops and they throw them in a heap and they're no good to anybody. But I mean. And again, one of the things about allotment life, when you're in there and somebody really comes in and they want something, they usually go out with it. You know, and it's the same amongst plot holders. If, somebody, if we've got a crop failure and somebody comes along and says, oh, I'm going to beat you this year, that usually means they want some, so you give them to them. So it's a very sharing society. Yeah. But in terms of general thieving on a large scale, no. No. Okay, I've got a question for you. Yeah. A couple of people have asked me this year, they've grown tomatoes outside, yep. cherry tomatoes, yep. and when they pick them, they've been very bitter yep. and thick-skinned. Why, why is That's that? That's the then? cool, wet conditions. Right, okay. The other, the other question I've been asked a lot this year, a lot of people have complained this year that their tomatoes are not ripening. You know, they stay in green. So, I was there the other day, and some lady came in the allotment, she said, you with tomatoes in the greenhouse are going very red, Teddy. She said, mine won't go red at all. How do you do it? I said, well, there's a very good secret to this. I said, first thing in the morning, get up just as it's getting daylight, just put on one of these white mats on, go into your greenhouse, open your mac, close it quickly, and all your tomatoes will blush and they go red quickly. <laughs> well, then she said, I said, well, this works up here. I pop up here early every morning, my mac, and they go. So about two days later, I know she was walking past the allotment gate. So I said, uh, are those tomatoes starting to go red? Well, she said, Terry, I tried exactly what you said. She said, I went in, took all my clothes off, went in early in the morning, opened my mac and kept it shut. She said, and not one tomato blush, but all my cucumbers to the one end. (laughs) 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 I've heard that joke so many times now. (laughs) Um, Who's got another question? Gentleman here in the blue. How do you combat the dreaded carrot fly? Ah, no, that, that is... No, I've, I've been, my theory on the carrot fly has been shattered this year. I was always led to believe 
that the canopy will fly never flies more than 17 inches above ground level. Anything about that, it's got vertigo, falls over and die. Now, some guy, eminent gardener, wrote in an article in one of the magazines beginning of the summer, these actually live in trees. I never realized that. They actually live up in trees and they float down. But I mean, I, I have a, well, the way I control them is the minute I plant them, I put around them a fleece barricade of two foot high. I'm not quite sure the altimeter on Caterfly works that well. He doesn't know whether he's at 17 inches or 20 inches. So I put a 24 inch shield all around of fleece and about 90 to 95% are successful. I do get the odd daredevil who can fly over the top because carrying an updraft that gets in and I might lose one or two. But the majority of my carrots are trouble free. The other secret of growing good carrots is no these big drums you use for storing water in. If you can get hold of them, somebody's given off cheaply and you want them. Drill a few holes in the bottom, a few decent bricks to have, put them down, half filled with earth, half filled with compost and a grow bag on the top. Make a spiral on the top, put them in. They're already over four feet high. The fly won't come in. You'll get carrots that long and carrots that wide. Come out perfectly clean. You're surprising in one drum of carrots, you've got decent carrots going down a full length. How much harvest you'll get out of, a, of the one drum of carrots. And you'll have no fly because they're above the, the stipulated height in which they fly. Yeah. Some people will put carrots in much later. Pardon? Some people will put carrots in much later. Yeah, you're supposed to... No, somebody, they, they do say the later you plant them, because the cycle is such, they, they come out early in part, they lay their eggs, the eggs then can turn into the fly, and the fly lay next is next lot, which is the ones that are going to overwinter. And if you can miss the change over time, but I've never been quite in a work out when exactly that is in the valleys, I'm sure half of them have got to watch and they don't know when they come in and go in, so I put this fleece as a precaution. But it, if you can work it out, the other thing they do say, and this is the thing that really does annoy me, they do say, you see these packets which are now carrot fly resistant. Now, have you ever read Reverend Insurance Policy? You ever read the small print on the bottom? Have you ever read, what does it say? Plant these next to a variety which is not so resistant. What does that mean? They want to plant them there because the carrot fly will go there and leave these alone. But if that doesn't work, and I, I've never found companion planting with carrots, interspersing them with onions, garlic, and anything else to work either. The carrot fly must be the most minute thing on earth, but it's got a hell of a nose. He still finds them. How much time do you spend on the allotment? Do you want to go for a week? Ooh, a couple of hours a week. <laughs> a couple of hours a week. <laughs> Such a liar. <laughs> I think my wife ought to answer that. Yeah. <laughs> your Anthea is a, an allotment widow in many respects, isn't she? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you've, how long have you been married? 40 years this year. 40 years this year, yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean they uh, say the absence makes the heart go from... Is that because you've spent so much time apart? You well, we've been married, in realistic terms, about five years and 35 of the lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one consolation, if I ever get divorced, the only one going to be cited is the allotment, so that'll save right. me money. <laughs> Fantastic. Any more questions? As they say in Wales, I'm not very often bad. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not a showman. Showman is a... Is a I'm not bad from entering anything because I'm, I'm not a good showman. Showman is all about bending rules and trickery. These, these people who go out really amaze me and I take my heart out to them. When they go out to grow anything for a show bench, they put a lot of effort in, a lot of money into that, and they, most of these things you see on show benches are not grown in the real world. These guys got polytunnels, they put heat on, they control the environment, and everything's grown in a special way. But they aren't really good specimens, they grow them perfect, and that's what their whole life is about. 
mean, there's three types of gardeners. There's myself, who grows to fill the kitchen table and to eat and enjoy my own efforts and my own flavour. There's the showman, who grows everything and check away no end of stuff to get six or five or nine perfect specimens on the show bench. And there's the other extreme, which are the grotesque growers, who go for the biggest, the giantest, and the largest. And they're the three major breeds of gardeners that are. And that's what the army's all about. It's what you get out of it, what you want to do it for. I'm quite happy to sit there with a good plate of food and enjoy myself. Other people want, want red cards, and other people want to be the biggest in the Guinness Book of Records. Great. Do what you want to. That's what gardening's all about. Wise words. Gentlemen, behind the bar, nonetheless. Two questions, if I may. The first is, have you got any tips for controlling weevil in peas? And the secondly, when you do buy seeds, can you afford to pay with the worst prices? (laughs) 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 You have to answer this very carefully. In the answer to part one... But it, it, they are very difficult to control. I mean, it's, again, if you're going to be organic, there's no simple way of keeping that. When the flowers opening, if you're going to keep away the, the pea weevil, then you have to spray at that time because it, in the flower stage, it, that's when it enters the pea. In so there is no real organic way of going. Again, it's all about of as this gentleman said here about carrots and calaroo fly. It's all a matter of judging when this thing is laying. In the terms of wiggly wig places, I, I honestly don't know. I'm, I. I always consider them to be the, I always to be the thing from me, good ever. quality, yeah. uh, the cheapest on the market, it's so they must have something going for them. Yeah. <laughs> in defence of the seeds, you know, the, uh, the seeds at Wiggly's, uh, and I know the prices of the seeds, well, um, actually I might not know the prices of all the seeds, but they're, they're approximately the same price as a pack of seeds that you go and pick off a, a rack in Tesco's. So interesting, and of course, the, by far the majority of them are organic. Now... I use those seeds because I, I very much like the idea of organic, but you don't use, you, you have problems with organic seed, don't you? I have never been proven to me yet what an organic seed is. I grow organically using no pesticides or no fertilizers, but how do you know when a seed is organic or not? Whether that bee has got a large radius to fly in, how do you know that bee has not come from a non organic and fertilized what is supposedly organic? So I, have never, I can't understand that theory, and nobody's explained that to me. Okay. I mean, in my mind, organic is, is very much about growing something without the use, without the use of artificial um, chemicals. Yeah, that's my so view. So just using green manures yeah. and, uh, and comfrey and some animal manures, but, I mean, obviously you've got to be slightly careful with your animal yeah. manures. Yeah. Any other questions? We've got to wind up sort. Maybe somebody waving their hands in the back here. We've got, about another, we've got about another four or five minutes of... We'll gradually wind up. We'll take one last... Question from the audience then. Come on, who wants to go out in a blaze of glory? <laughs> no one. Come on, no there's got to be somebody. One last burning question. Yeah. Don't walk out the hall and say, I wish I'd said. Well. Go on in, very good. It's, I mean, there might be professionals in here, so I'm <clears> in advance. Swede, why can't you buy a Swede that tastes as good as a Swede used to taste when I was a child? And why aren't they orange anymore? Why because they grown. Because they grown much more artificially. They got these more hybrid seeds to make. I mean, the problem the problem with supermarket food is you all want it cheap. Supermarkets have very high standards. They want everything to be uniform. Therefore, they have to be grown in a more artificial way, grown quickly to make them to make the produce available at a much cheaper price. If you grow and everything is grown slowly at your own hand, it takes ages. But supermarkets don't give the growers chance to do all that. They just simply want this thing produced quickly, efficiently, and to look the same. And I always get amazed when I walk into 
Tesco's and you pick up a packet of carrots and they're all the same size, the same colour and the same shape and they clean. I think nine-tenths of kids these days think that vegetables are grown in plastic bags on a green supermarket shelf. They don't realise they are dirty at some time in their life. Okay then, so okay. Um, as we started the, the, the show on a, a light-hearted musical note, we shall go out in the same fashions and we'll slow the tempo down now and we shall finish off with this. Um, I'm going to play the mouth organ. I can't play the mouth organ, but as you I appreciate... I can't sing it, as you probably realise. All <laughs> <laughs> right. And now the end is near, and so we face the final curtain. My friends, we've stated the facts of which we're certain. We've lived a life that's full and fabled each and every allotment, but more, much more than this, we dug it our way. Potatoes, I had a few, but that again too few to mention. The blight, it took them all, it took them all with full intention. I have lived a life that's full, I've traveled each and every plot. But more, much more than this, I dug them my way. Thank you.